Hello and welcome to EW's Best of Shows, Entertainment Weekly's weekly look at the best of television and the rest of television. Emphasis this week on the rest, at least with regards to one show we'll be talking about. I'm Darren Franich, a TV critic at Entertainment Weekly, joined as always by my brilliant colleague, the Milo Minder Binder to my major, 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 Kristen Baldwin. Kristen, how's it going this week? Well, Darian, let me just tell you that this morning on my way in on the subway, I realized, discovered uh, that there was a large tear in the uh, butt of my jeans. No! And I was uh, given some riders on the 2-3, a little bit of a show. (laughs) And long story short, TJ Maxx was open and I am now wearing emergency pants. Wow! Incredible! TJ Maxx! Yes, to the rescue. That's good. This this could almost be a a subplot. Uh, if if it were not a subway, it could be a subplot <laughs> on LA's finest. That's the only thing holding it back. There'd be it, it, like I'm not sure that that TJ Maxx would 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 factor into it. No, <laughs> maybe there would be a robbery at the TJ Maxx, and then they would start tossing quips back and forth. <laughs> oh, oh but so we gotta, many quips. We, we, we got to save it. We got to save it off. for later. We're holding off. We're holding off. We're talking about LA's Finest later on. Uh, we'll also be addressing the uh, new season of Fleabag. So much to talk about there. But uh, first, Kristen, as I teased a little bit in the introduction, we're getting literary. This yeah, week. let's do it. We're going to kick things off with our What's New segment, in which Darren and I talk about this week's most notable new and returning show premieres. So first up, we've got Catch-22, which premieres on May 17th on Hulu. So Joseph Heller's classic novel about an average guy trying to keep out of harm's way in the face of an increasingly unstable insanitarian regime is both timeless and timely. Hulu's six-episode adaptation, which is exec produced by George Clooney and was shot on location in Italy, is absolutely gorgeous to look at with its aerial shots of the Mediterranean Sea and its cast of impossibly handsome actors who, thankfully, can also act. Christopher Abbott stars as John Yosef a World War II bombardier who just wants to go home alive. But the maddeningly circular bureaucracy of the military keeps conspiring against his efforts. There's the titular catch, which essentially boils down to a soldier can be grounded for being crazy. All he has to do is ask to be grounded. But if you ask to be grounded, you must not be crazy, so you have to keep flying. Um, Further complicating Yossarian's life is Colonel Cathcart, played by Kyle Chandler, who keeps upping the number of missions the soldiers need to fly before they can go home. So, Darren, this is a largely faithful adaptation that preserves a lot of Heller's brilliantly sort of elliptical prose, and the series features some really wonderful performances, primarily Kyle Chandler, who is hilariously apoplectic as Colonel Cathcart, a man who inspires and humiliates his men by shouting at them angrily in public forums. Uh, George Clooney was originally supposed to play this role, but he ended up taking a smaller part, General Scheisskopf, and I think the change ends up being good for the show. And Chris Abbott gives a very subtle but good performance as Yosarian, who may be a sane guy, but he's also often selfish and unlikable. But for me, Catch-22 ended up being something I admired more than sort of enjoyed and felt. It's very funny, but more often than not, it was the kind of funny where you nod and think to yourself, hey, that's funny, rather than actually feeling moved to laugh. And it felt almost a little too 
perfect to me. Like it's art directed within an inch of its life. But for me, it was the kind of thing where this very specific and beautiful aesthetic sort of overpowered the actual emotion of the story. Uh, what do you think, Darren? Uh, Kristen, I entirely agree with everything except for the admired part. <laughs> I really, I, I really want to give this show like, you know, teacher gives extra credit to kid who is at least trying hard because it <laughs> is trying to adapt um, one of the greatest novels ever written. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I just think that Catch-22, there's kind of a reason why it is such a kind of continual rediscovery for each generation, because it's a book that I, I think kind of most often read in, in high school or kind of mm -hmm. early college. You know, it's just so funny and so fast and so quick, and yet what it is grappling with are just all of these incredible philosophical existential issues and, and the way that it moves between all those registers while always being so absurd and so funny and then when you least expect it so moving i just don't think that even in the canon of like the books that everyone who reads has read mm -hmm. I, I still feel like it really kind of stands apart for me just for being a book that you can kind of crack open and flip to a random chapter and it's just it, it's just gonna immediately enthrall you and yeah. you know I, I i i don't know what the movie tv motion picture version of that would be it, it seems like it would need to be something that is as intensely thoughtful as you know, the most foreign art film, but also as funny as 30 Rock. Right. You know? and, right. and I just, and you know, I acknowledge that it's hard for me to pick out what is a thing that is similar to that. Um, but yeah, as you said, it kind of seems like w the big idea for this show was let's make it look good, which I, I, I don't think is even necessarily the best instinct for this material. Right. Um, I, I do think that. I, I really love Christopher Abbott, and I'm really glad that he's he's getting a role like this. A lot of people will remember him as Marnie's boyfriend on Girls, mm -hmm. uh, a, a role that he kind of left early on and then came back in one of the best episodes of television of this entire decade. And I, I'm, I'm glad to see him getting this kind of work. I think he's very good in a role that I'm not quite sure the show nails. I mean, Yossarian right. is kind of the central elliptical character in a very elliptical novel, and I think the fact that Abbott kind of manages to even get at some of the humor and sadness of the character is pretty impressive. But yeah, for me, Kristen, I, I couldn't get through the whole show. I only watched a few episodes and the only the only thing that really stuck out to me as a triumph was Kyle Chandler <laughs> yes. as Colonel Cathcart. He he is locked into what the show should be, right? Or at least yeah. he's kind of finding the right tone. It's it's as though Coach Taylor were, were giving a locker room speech, but minus all the empathy <laughs> and all the humanity, he's just He's so, uh, you know, he's so committed blindly to this mission count that he keeps raising for no reason. And uh, and he's also just, you know, he punishes the the, the bombardiers at one point, the plane, uh, Yossarian's crew, by not serving them baked Alaska when everybody else gets baked Alaska. And he's like, this is yummy, isn't it, guys? And it's just so crazy. His performance is, it, it is more unhinged, I think, than really anybody else is. Everything else just feels a little too perfect. Yeah. And I know that sounds crazy, but it, I felt that I feel this way sometimes about Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is a show I really enjoy. But at times it is like there's so much effort and focus put on the way the show looks and how everything is choreographed, even if people are just walking down the street and uh, the, 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 the 
the speech rhythms, the dialogue is so fast and it's so perfect, but it's it's almost like it's it's so perfect that it's devoid of actual feeling. So that's my that is a little bit how I felt about this. Although I do think that Kyle Chandler is just like living his best life in this role. Well, and, and you know, Kristen, uh, something you just said really sparked for me another issue is that um, you know we do have this cast of sort of handsome young men so playing handsome. all the different pilots. Everyone is so handsome, very handsome people, but it. Does does feel as if I'm trying to think of, of how to say this kindly. It's almost <laughs> as if, like you know, so so Clooney, who you know directs a couple episodes, and he produced this with uh, Grant Heslov. Um, it almost is as if they kind of cast a lot of people who look a lot like kind of '40s era yes, dudes. They absolutely you know, like, did. And 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 and, and I I think that's really wise, but it contributes to a feeling that you know when viewed all in a mass, as they often are on the show they all kind of feel collectively a little cookie cutter to me. Yeah. And it's, you know, this is just one problem with adapting a book. For one thing, in the book, they all have insane names. Yes. You know, like, I mean, th this is the book of, like, Milo Minderbinder and the book of, you know, John Yossarian. And, you know, it just it immediately makes them all stand out from each other. Whereas here, it's almost as if you're watching a slightly quirkier band of brothers at times. And and I, I think it's just hard because, again, there are, you know, these moments with Kyle Chandler, who just just is both that old school kind of guy and a total parody of that. Yes. And he's able to do that by virtue of the roles you associate with him and, and by virtue of the fact that he can be just insanely funny, but never really blinking at all. There's something so deadpan about him. And I, I just sort of feel like, you know, as we're moving through all the other characters, this show very much tries to capture the ensemble nature of the book. You just sort of, there's a clear lack of that kind of energy when you're, fo when you're focusing on really a lot of the other characters. Kristen, you actually finished uh, all six episodes, right? I did. How, like, how did you feel? Is this something that as it went along, you felt better about it? Are, are, are there reasons why someone like me who's not so set on it should try to finish it? You know, it's interesting because I haven't read the book in a while and it did make me want to go back and read the book, which if any, you know, piece of television ever makes you want to go back and read I feel like that's a victory so we should say thank you to Hulu for that um, <laughs> I, I think probably the fact that you know the book jumps around uh, time wise you know it's, it's going forward in time backwards in time you're never quite 100% sure where you're going to land and for the most part this story is told uh, you know in a linear fashion which makes sense you know it's television it's it's a little harder to uh, get across there are certainly flashbacks and things like that but it's mostly told in a linear fashion and I think that actually does um, sort of de-emphasize and and devalue a little bit the, the more emotional moments that happen later in the book. Uh, this yeah. is not a spoiler, people. This book has been out since 1961. For example, The Death of Snowden, which is uh, very, very important to Yossarian's narrative and his mental sort of shift in the book. And and the reason I think, you know, it's more powerful in the book is is because, you know, you keep going back to it, you keep going back to it, and you don't know what actually happened until later in the book. And and in this, you know, it happens just as it happens in, in, in the book, but there's no... Um, it just sort of happens in a vacuum in a way. Uh, you yeah. it, There's a brief flashback to it in the beginning, but you don't know what what it's about and i think you know it's still very like it's a horrible moment what happens but it's it's less powerful so 
It's hard to say. I mean, it's beautifully well done. It's probably better than spending your time watching Double Shot at Love with Polly D and DJ <laughs> Vinny or whatever, which I watch Disagree. every week. <laughs> Disagree. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess I would say uh, that it's it's certainly, and, you know, everyone's so good looking and it's very beautifully shot. And it's, you know, it's, it's faithful. It doesn't do too much to change the story. There are a couple things that are dropped, a couple things that are added that are probably, you know, I didn't love, but it's fine. So, you know, I guess I would say generally, if you really, if you're looking for something to watch and you, you know, like handsome men, then check it out. Um, they're all decent actors. I actually, I think the the kid who plays uh, Milo Minderbinder is fantastic. His name is Daniel David Stewart, and he's really, he's really funny in this. I think um, it's a, you know, it's an insane role, but uh, he has a <laughs> lot of um, charisma. So I definitely think there's some good performances. And if you like Kyle Chandler, then 100% check this out yeah maybe the move is to sort of switch off episodes of this with episodes of chernobyl just as far as being <laughs> like you know this this is like you know the, you know like it's it, it equally bleak at times but the sun is shining and there's a lot of shirtless scenes mm -hmm. like you know and and when they're shirtless they're not absorbing radiation the way a lot of characters nope, are nope. On, 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 on chernobyl Kristen, catch 22 debuts on hulu on may 17th the very same day that a new season of television everyone should definitely watch debuts on amazon prime Kristen, i'm talking about the return and I guess ending of Fleabag. Uh, some background here in 2016, actress and writer Phoebe Waller-Bridge astounded audiences across the English-speaking world with the debut season of her dramedy Fleabag, a kind of relationship show slash family sitcom which starred Waller-Bridge herself as a never-entirely-named fourth-wall-breaking young 30-something, generally referred to as Fleabag. Season one was a delirious raunch fest full of sexy, goofy times and a deep abiding sadness but the long-awaited season two goes off in a slightly different direction as fleabag attempts to clean up her life and finds religion question mark wink to the camera uh <laughs> Kristen, i i reviewed uh, the new season of fleabag in the magazine i liked it a lot uh what well, what did you think and uh, uh how do you feel in general about fleabag it feels like when the first season came out a few years ago it was a real phenomenon for a lot of people it was and it's funny i never i didn't watch it and then uh you know when the and then over time it sort of you know it was a huge hit in the uk and then over time it became uh, sort of a word of mouth hit as these shows generally are and as phoebe waller bridge's star began to rise in general people were checking it out and it became something where uh, a lot of people were obsessed with it here in america as well and so but you know knowing that and knowing that now between 2016 and 2019 you know phoebe waller bridge has become a huge star and sort of this sought after after writer she's spiffing up a bond script and you know she created killing eve blah 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 i figured okay i'll check it out and you know it's not something that uh you really need to have seen season one to watch mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. and i ended up really i thought oh, okay i'll watch one or two the first one i thought oh this is well done i'm not sure i'm loving it but then i kept <laughs> watching and then pretty soon i was done with with the season it's six episodes it's uh you know half an hour episodes there is not a wasted moment there's not a wasted shot it's probably the most efficient storytelling and if, yeah. uh, that we've seen in the streaming era
it, it, it really skips right along. In that first episode you're talking about, for me, that, that's really one of the standout episodes of yeah. uh, the year so far. Uh, Fleabag is kind of having this get-together with her family, and it's kind of the first time. You, you're told immediately that one year has passed from season one. Um, there's a lot of incredible stress placed on the family in the first season, which I'm sure you picked up on. Yes. Um, you know, th there's uh, this kind of ongoing wonderful dynamic with her sister Claire, who's played by Sean Clifford. And I mean, their dynamic together, it just really raises the show to another level so whenever they're um, together on screen. Of course, there's also uh, her dad, played by Bill Patterson, and her dad's fiance, played by, oh my gosh, is that Olivia Coleman? It is! What is she doing everywhere right now? Um, that first episode also introduces a new character to the show, uh, a cool, sweary Catholic priest who's played by Andrew Scott, uh, an actor that I think a lot of people will know on these shores for his role as Moriarty in Sherlock. Very different role for him here. Um, there's an interesting chemistry that strikes up between him and Fleabag in the first episode. And the sort of direction of them hanging out together defines a lot of season two in general, Kristen. Yeah. And one thing that I try to get into in my review is that this is kind of a quote-unquote religious season of television in a way that for me feels very sincere even if it's also very very funny right um i i i would almost kind of compare it a little bit to the hulu series rami that we've talked about yeah. recently in that it's kind of another late 20 early 30 something who enjoys you know going out and hooking up and partying has a bit of a religious awakening i'm, I'm sort of you know straining towards this because the right. show is obviously still Still not quite with that exactly, but I, I found that to be a very interesting turn for the show in general. It is, and it's interesting because, you know, there's, if you haven't watched season one, again, it ended in 2016, so don't at me when I say it ended with this revelation that was, you know, the reason Fleabag has been so miserable and heartbroken and, and guilt-ridden is because uh, she slept with her best friend's boyfriend and then her best friend in an attempt to make her boyfriend feel guilty, uh, was going to step in front of a bike and she ended up getting killed. Um, yeah. And so she, the she's now, Fleabag is now a year later, you know, she's tried to put her, uh, put all that bad behavior behind her. She's no longer having meaningless sex. She's trying to eat healthy, which apparently in the UK means avocado toast. Um, <laughs> and, you know, she's trying to mend fences with her sister who they've had this sort of falling out in the finale. And what I think is really interesting about it is that it's very, uh, realistic and and relatable to think you know yes she doesn't believe in god but she also is yearning for the idea of like what is what is it like to have a life with meaning you know what is yeah. it life to like to have a life where you really believe in something and i think that's why she's drawn to the priest he's just known as the priest that and he's really effing hot you know and uh <laughs> so they do have this very interesting relationship um and I do, I, there's so much great stuff that happens between her and her sister over the course of these six episodes. Um, I had the opportunity to interview the cast for uh, the premiere and Sean Clifford had said, you know, the real love story of this show is between Fleabag and her sister. And I think that's, you know, really the truth. And it's, it's for all the, you know, shock value of the, you know, humor and the sex that happens in season one and, and, and to some degree in season two, it really is this love lovely love story between these sisters. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I couldn't agree more um, with the feeling that those two together, they just seem to really have this wonderful spark and this this, this great chemistry. Um, uh, Wallerbridge and Clifford, I believe, have been friends for a long time, yeah. but there's just such a great natural rhythm that they find together. And, you know, I, I just think it's very interesting how this show, especially in its first season, you know, it, it came on in a very strong and hilarious and wonderful way as like a kind of raunchy and funny and, you know, kind of in your face show. And it's just really interesting to me to see how, you know, Waller Bridge, as she's gone off into the directions and she's been in a Star Wars movie and you mentioned she's, you know, helping to spiff up the next James Bond movie. And, you know, she kind of worked on the first season of a very funny sexy wild spy show she it's almost like she's come back to this material which feels in general a lot more autobiographical and even a little confessional and really kind of pushed it in an exciting new direction um yeah. so i just yeah I, I i just feel like to do all of that and also have just a really fun fast-paced you know sitcom banter there's a couple of great guest appearances this season oh, uh, so including i mean like like it's, it's it's not that much of a spoiler to say that like Kristen scott thomas has an incredible guest role in, yes. in, in one episode that's and just so Fiona fantastic. Shaw shows up <laughs> in I believe episode two and she's freaking perfect and it's you know yeah. watching her act opposite Phoebe Waller-Bridge is is really fantastic and I also Brett Gelman who I had only really known from camping that HBO show where he played sort <laughs> of a similar character but was quite funny in that show he he plays uh, Claire's husband Martin who Fleabag hates and she has good reason to hate and that first episode really does uh it really does get uh sort of centered on their dynamic with each other yeah. and it it comes to a head in a quite hilarious way yeah he's he's sort of the one character in, in the main um cast of the show that can feel like like there's a little bit of an over-the-top quality to him but you know that's kind of why that first episode is so great is that you know it's just such a marvel of you know almost kind of play written tension yes. where you just have all these people at a table and you're very aware that they are all just lit fuses of dynamite might wait yes. to go off and you're just waiting to see what's going to happen I, I just think that you know as a performer phoebe waller bridge is really incredible and you know again she's giving this whole performance both to the other characters and also to the camera and, yeah. and the way that she breaks the fourth wall i just think is really distinctive and unique and it 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 makes you feel as if you're watching someone give two performances simultaneously in the middle of like certain sentences and i i think there's nothing else like that but it's just great to see her as a writer and as a kind of creator kind of keep developing too um so i do i yeah it's funny i it is one of these sort of <laughs> this is like a classic like british sitcom where yeah there were six episodes three years ago and six episodes now and they've said it's over now yes, <laughs> so it's, and it's, it's it's easy to discover it's it it's so easy to discover and you know it's interesting because uh she said and so has sean clifford uh said that you know this is it and the ending of season two uh, is perfect, I think. I mean, the yeah. ending is really beautifully well done, perfect ending for this character, and it's satisfying, it's heartbreaking, it's, you know, bittersweet, but it's really, it's a perfect ending. And, uh, you know, people keep asking Phoebe Waller-Bridge, like, could there be more? Could there be more? And I really, really, really hope that she doesn't do more. I mean, I, I know that that's not, you know, sometimes people are like, why wouldn't I want more of a show that I love? And it's like, because it ended in a really yeah. perfect way. And she said, 
uh, more than once. And she said uh, during uh, the cast interview that I did that she really thinks this is a good ending. Um, she says, I'm supposed to say never say never. Um, but I think she means never. Of course, she said this after season one, too. So um, <laughs> what she did say is what she'd like to do maybe is revisit the character when she's 50. Um, yeah. Which, great, go ahead. But I think for now, the way the story ends is really beautiful. Um, and, you know, I and it's so simple to go back and watch the first six episodes, you know, just and this six episodes and it's just a nice little story and it's a perfect example of it's okay to let stories end it's yeah. okay let's do it tv let's let them end yeah let them end if you need you know it, you can continue on with the same people and sure. they can just do something different sure. together that's always a fun thing you know like i i think that uh you know you know ryan murphy seems to have generally figured that out although yep. eventually yep. they do wind up playing the other characters that they played but you know that's that's like i would love nothing more than for phoebe waller bridge and sean clifford to do something else yes. together and olivia and Coleman. I, exactly yeah well i mean and olivia Coleman. it's so great her being on this show is just sort of one victory lap in between the various other victories that she is, is doing recently after winning the Best Actress Oscar. She's going to be in The Crown coming up pretty soon. But she's just so delightful. And I, I do think that, you know, as much as there's maybe a, an urge to see more of this show, I just think that with these performers, rewatching it will never lose its luster. Exactly. You know, like, so, <laughs> like, yeah, you know you'll... Very... You, You'll you'll always be able to watch more by just going back around to the beginning. <laughs> it's, it's very rewatchable. So let's all just get behind season two of Fleabag and say thank you and good night to Fleabag and let's let it lie. I'm talking to you, Amazon, and any other exec who could make more money off of future seasons. Just do the right thing, damn it. Do it. Do the right thing. And that's true of you uh, out there, listeners. May 17th, Fleabag, Amazon Prime. Check it out. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Oh, Kristen. Oh, okay. we, I don't we, know. Should we even, should, should we just leave off on that? That's such a good note. We've I, had a good time so far. <laughs> I, we got to do this, Darren. It's, it's that time. It's that time that we talk about a little show. Uh, premiering May 13th on Spectrum On Demand, which is a thing that is not available in all parts of the country, but is apparently available in some. It's a internet and cable provider, I believe. It's out there in, on your coast, yes? I have Spectrum, okay. um, which means I, I would theoretically be able to access this show okay. if I if I so desired, which is a big if big, at this big point, if. So here on the East Coast, uh, we can't watch it, but uh, I'm sure eventually that will change. But anyway, LA's Finest premieres May 13th on Spectrum On Demand. So this is a loud action dramedy. Okay, Gabrielle Union reprises her Bad Boys 2 role. Here she plays Sydney Burnett, a DEA agent turned LAPD 
detective who spends her downtime racking up one night stands. And her partner, Nancy McKenna, played by Jessica Alba, is the opposite. She's a married stepmom who pouts when you miss her family book club. Uh, together, Sid and Nancy, literally, Sid and Nancy. Ugh. Uh, they trade quips during shootouts. The opening episode is them, you know, there's a convenience store shootout and they're arguing with each other as they shoot the bad guys. And ha, isn't that funny? Anyway, uh, they trade quips during shootouts and hide dark secrets. And uh, there are plenty of fine actors wasted in this show. One includes Evan Handler. Uh, from Sex and the City. Uh, He's sort of the boxy-suited, blustering captain, Captain Hirsch. Ernie Hudson plays Sid's father and, you know, doesn't have a whole lot to do. Um, The good news is that you really can only watch this if you live in the parts of the country that Spectrum covers. Um, So you can avoid it very easily if you want. Oh, another actor who is wasted uh, in this show, not wasted like drunk, which, by the way, I wouldn't uh, blame him at all, but wasted in that he is a nice actor and he should have better shows, Zach Guilford from Friday Night Lights. Anyway. He's trying so hard in this show. Bless his heart. He's, anyway. he's, he's bringing his like AAA game to, to, to this show. To which, some uh... really C, C, C or F <laughs> material. I don't know. Darren, the question I have for you is like, huh? Kristen, you gave this show a C minus in the yes, magazine. I did. Yes, I and did. And I, I don't tend to disagree with you. Um, and I, and to be honest, I'm not sure I disagree with you here because my only response is I'm not sure there's a grade low enough for <laughs> for this show. You know, and, and Kristen, I, th- there's something really fascinating about LA's Finest. Not the show itself, but like what what kind of went into it. Um, this is uh, a, a spinoff of the Bad Boys franchise. And, mm-hmm. you know, we can all agree to disagree on things. Uh, I don't like either of the Bad Boys movies. The, 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 there is a kind of fascination with Bad Boys 2 that I think a lot of people, especially my age have um, and like fandom for it even kind of weirdly inspired uh, the action parody Hot Fuzz directed by Edgar Wright Um, I I just kind of think that like they're both dumb movies uh, and so the idea of saying we're going to do that but with strong female characters for me it's already kind of a well okay I mean I'm not sure this is a thing that should be done again with any kind of characters but You know, if this is your intention, if you're kind of taking it in a new direction, um, you know, I I will at least check it out. Um, And it just feels like a real strange and kind of misbegotten project all over the place, Kristen. And one of the interesting things about L.A.'s Finest is... It's almost an interesting example of all of these things that didn't used to be cliches, but now they are. Yes. Um, the show is kind of nominally a kind of uh, action comedy procedural, but we find out very early in the pilot that it is also kind of telling this longer serialized story. And every main character kind of has these mysteries and these secrets that yeah. they're keeping. And I think there was a time, even as recently as like four or five years ago, where that would have been if not still unusual then at least kind of exciting it would have been like oh wow this is a this is not merely a procedural it's telling this longer right. story um but by now it actually seems as if it would do the show more justice to just be the sort of weekly shoot 'em up right exactly. like 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 well, whenever they sort of tease this longer story and by the way the longer story is a real bummer i mean i don't even know if we should get into it or not but it I involves mean, it involves just some awful backstory yeah like people sad. yeah like uh, it involves 
involves some really bad guys doing bad things to to you know seemingly decent people and yeah. it's just i agree with you that it really would have maybe just been better if this had been a loud action dramedy where everybody yeah. just you know they and they caught the bad guys every week and i it frustrates me that they're supposed to be fr- strong female characters but the way that they make them strong female characters is like uh gabrielle union's character is all like i have one night stands and i have you know uh, to-go coffee cups by my door because I want people to get, you know, I want them to leave. I want it to be, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get attached, you know. And then, and then, like uh, Jessica Alba's character, she's got like a handsome but very dull husband and a rebellious stepdaughter, and it's I don't, I don't know. It just feels like they're not even giving them interesting characters, and then, yeah. and then terrible stories, and then uh, badly sort of cliche uh shoot 'em ups with totally. you know, with a lot and, of, of and, sound bites in between and, and and sort of the worst kind of cliches too Kristen. this show fits very squarely into the grand tradition of like shows about yuppie cops and to the to, 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 to the point where it even kind of feels like this show is very explicitly about like very fancy people who are like taking out the less fancy people in town there's a moment right. in um i believe it's in the first episode where like uh someone sort of talks about how there was a shootout and they describe it as two bangers uh trolling malibu and there's a lot of like there's a lot of socio-political badness just worked up even in that statement and then this idea of like you know the cartels are coming to the beach cities and but you know even even kind of digging that deep into it i just feel like i'm giving the show way more credit than than it's worth um i mean i I am fascinated sometimes by just like some of the even like stylistic choices of the show Kristen are like kind of funny in their own right like uh Jessica Alba's character she's all about those like long cardigans like yes. she's like, like like that's kind of like that that's like the cool new look for the LAPD well long cardigans over a camisole that shows her uh cleavage for sure <laughs> and even like you know you, you kind of mentioned how uh you know uh, Gabrielle Union who, who was just on uh, Being Mary Jane which is a really delightful show that I hope people check out in, instead of this um you know you kind of mentioned how yeah she has like these one night stands she's kind of casually bisexual which is an interesting new trope on television yes. and I, i'm trying to think of how to talk about this because you know I, I am an old married person now who doesn't know much about how the youth socialize it, it feels to me as if this new trope of like the badass bisexual lead female character um it, it can feel like it's going in the wrong direction yeah. at times. And there's a moment in the third episode where um, uh, her character has been kind of hooking up with a woman. And, like, the woman shows up and is wearing, like, shorts so short that, like, she might as well be wearing a thong. And you're kind of just like, I- I'm not sure this is good for anybody. Yeah. It just it, it feels a little beefcakey, almost in the kind of 90s USA primetime show. Yes, it's ways. very, like, this is progress, question mark? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it's just, I, I mean, I don't know, Kristen, again, this is sort of, even as a sort of fun, over-the-top action show, I'm not really sure this gets there. Because um, it does, it's like whenever it's trying to be fun, it'll kind of get dragged down, again, with some really bummer and grim. serious material. Some very grim. Very yeah, grim. There's, yeah. you know, there's the requisite, like, uh, guy being beaten to a pulp by, you know, other bad guys. And, you know, a lot, all the sort of requisite, like... 
light torture and stuff like that. I'm not surprised to uh, report, though, that NBC had the option for the show and then passed on it. Um, and then, uh, which, you know, congrats, NBC, on making that decision, because I, I don't think that uh, this show should be something that anyone should be forced to watch. I do think yeah. that probably because NBC passed on it and they ended up on this spectrum thing, which is, I, you know, again, I'm not really sure what that is. You know, they're not as uh, beholden to broadcast network standards. So that probably right. means, you know, hey, lady in the thong and hey, more <laughs> violence and uh, all that stuff. But it just it's a lose, lose, lose for everyone. Yeah, it's funny. What, what you think about violence, I'm realizing you're so right, because in the pilot, which maybe was sort of originally designed to be on a broadcast show, there's a moment towards the end where, and again, it's just it just feels like it takes this weird leap. You know, one of the main characters shoots one of the bad guys, and like it cuts to a slow motion shot of the <gasps> bullet like exploding into yes! his head. And listen, again, I, I am not someone who is anti-violence by any means in entertainment. In yes, entertainment, yes. I, I am in... I am, I'm a pacifist and a wimp in real life, but like I, I just the weirdness with which that stuff is thrown into material that is just so goofy. It, it winds up leaving a bad taste in your mouth all around. That sequence comes uh, at the end of an episode where there is a child, a young boy taken hostage and repeatedly traumatized by yeah. bad guys taken hostage, retaken hostage. Is Freaking nanny is murdered killed, in front of him. Killed in front and, of him. And like, so then, like, <laughs> on top of all that, like, so not only have you traumatized this child character multiple times throughout the course of this one episode, you're then going to finally end his trauma by slow mowing a bullet into the brain of the bad guy. And we're supposed to be like, woohoo! victory yeah it's, it's such a strange tone that the show is hitting um and even you, you mentioned earlier on Kristen, the quips the quips are not good quips nope there is so uh zach guilford and Dwayne martin co-star as these two other detectives uh called the bens because their names are are both ben um zach guilford of course is a white man Dwayne martin is an african-american and there's a scene where they enter a room and someone refers to them as black man and robin <laughs> and i i almost picked up my laptop that i was watching the screener on and threw it out the window at yeah. that point yeah um and it's just and, and again i it's interesting, Kristen, because this show is kind of existing as a spinoff of a major franchise, and that kind of thing happens a lot nowadays. And it, it just sort of feels like you would think, certainly the participation of Gabrielle Union and Jessica Alba. Jessica Alba, who I think is involved in a billion-dollar company in yeah, her spare I, time. Somebody told me she's worth $400 million. Like, honey, you don't need to work. You would well, well, And, and you, you would just think that their participation in this would imply a feeling of, you know, there's something interesting here there's something we can actually do with this material and so i think in that sense even the relatively low bar of trying to create a a fun you know outrageous action comedy it doesn't even really you know get up to that level which is no. really a shame i do just think that maybe uh we've lost sight and by we i mean executives who greenlight this stuff uh have lost sight of uh, you know, just sort of a simple, simple litmus test that they should do when they're looking at a property. Like, did anyone ask for like more bad boys content? No, <laughs> nobody did. I understand they're making a third movie or whatever. And like the original people are in it and fine. But did anyone ask for a, for a bad boys spin off of a 
sort of secondary character who happens, you know, to be a good actress. But did anyone ask for that? No, they didn't. They didn't. Why don't you give <sighs> Gabrielle Union a different role that is worthy of her? Give her a show. I'm happy to have her have a show. She's great. I can yeah. say that with slightly less enthusiasm for Jessica Alba, though I did enjoy the movie Honey. Um, you know, give, Yeah, give, there we go. Give her a show. Fine, fine. <laughs> but like, not this show. Not this show that the it sort of uh, struts about as though it is doing something empowering and new. And in fact, it is sort of diminishing and degrading all the characters involved in uh, a variety of very depressing ways. Perfectly stated, Kristen. The show <laughs> debuts May 13th on uh, the Spectrum cable service, which again, I I do have access to. Maybe that's why maybe that's why it's LA's finest because here here in California, people will get all of the local references and be equally horrified by Yes. Them. Yes. <laughs> Oh, our producer Patrick has something he wants to say. I just want to say that now I want to see it because <laughs> I want to really see how bad this TV show is. <laughs> I mean, that it, it could maybe maybe our rage will fuel. Some, uh, it's possible. Yeah. It's 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 possible. Patrick would be would be excited to hear what you think about it. Are you a are you a bad boys person at all? I did like bad boys. Okay, so even even so. So this is a pretty low rent version of that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like what this show was going for was uh, Lethal Weapon, which yeah. is what, and that show, for all its behind the scenes drama, at least in the first season, I thought was pretty good. Um, yeah. And, and this was like trying to do the same thing, but just like failing on every level. Yeah, well, because like the Lethal Weapon show, it's goofy, yeah. and it's not necessarily trying to be anything but goofy. Right. And like, especially weirdly, when they added in Sean William Scott, it kind of got even better because he's just even goofier. But yeah, it's it's trying for that, but with you know, oh god, an awful like assault backstory that just does not feel like the show is ready to handle that in any meaningful way. Yeah, so <sighs> basically, uh, it bad. It real bad. It bad. It real bad. Um, <laughs> that's our critical take. But of course, we love hearing what other people think about the TV shows that, that we talk about. Um, hey, if you want to tweet at us, I'm at Darren Franich on Twitter. She's at Kristen G. Baldwin. Uh, and while you're tweeting, while you're just doing stuff related to the stuff that we do, you can find our podcast anywhere podcasts are. Go over to Apple Podcasts, go to radio.com, go to Spotify. We are critics, which means we write reviews, which means we love reading reviews, which means we love reading your reviews. Let us know what you think about this show. We're trying to improve it every week, trying to make it the best version of itself, more the flea bag version of itself than the LA's fine version of itself, but we'll settle for Catch-22. I should have a catchphrase, but I don't, so goodbye.